pay equity is truly a leadership responsibility on the company. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Let's get ready to podcast. I haven't trademarked that yet. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I am your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined as always by my co-host, Chad Sowash. Well, hello. And today we are we are privileged to welcome, I'm, I'm not going to butcher this name, I promise, Maria Colacurcio. There it is. CEO of Cindio. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You nailed it. Got the last name on the first yes. track. Love it. I, I really yes. think he should have gone more Italian with it, though. Colacurcio. I think that that really, really sold it. Yes. You've already offended a whole group of people, and we're not even like a minute into the show. Way to go, so watch. That's what I do, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Maria, where does this podcast find you today? Well, normally I'm working out of Seattle, Washington, but today you find me at my in-laws who are graciously assisting with the kids and we are in Arizona. Oh, nice. So that's awesome because from my research, you have six children. What are the ages of those, those six kids? Uh, yeah, a big buzzer on that one. (laughs) You do know how it works, right? We can send you some literature. I do. Um, We all have choices. We all have choices, guys. (laughs) There's two batches of them. There's a first marriage batch and a second marriage batch. The first marriage batch ages range from 8 to 13, and there's five of them in that batch. So you do the math. And then the caboose, she's two. So the in-laws are all day with the husband in the pool in 115 degree weather while I'm working and it's working out great. So very grateful. Two to 13. Did I get that right? Two yep. to 13. Eight. Ooh. Your, 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 your sainthood certificate should be in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason we brought you on today is we actually did a show uh, a few months ago that talked about uh, Cindio and your Series A funding, and I and I dove a little bit deeper into what you guys do, and so did Joel, and we we had a little bit of discussion around Cindio being the platform which allows companies to focus on pay equity and transparency, and we talk about this all the time on the show, and 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 how to rectify a system that is just so damaged. So if you could, if you don't mind, can you tell us? Your story, the story of Cindio, how you got here. Obviously, there was a, a problem. You saw the problem, but how did you actually get that in your head? Hey, I can fix this. And how'd you come up with the name? <laughs> yeah, it's a great story. So I'm not the founder of Cindio. I am the CEO and joined a company that already existed. So that's kind of the first thing that I like to tell people because it's it's pretty rare to have a founder commit have a founder start a company and then bring a CEO in, but that's exactly what happened. So Cindio's origin was actually a people analytics company. And they had a phenomenal people analytics software product. It was organizational network analysis and that's where the name came from. So synapses, connections, how do you connect a bunch of people? But what they did early on is They were having some trouble with the long sales cycle. It's a super crowded competitive market. It was a big consulting lift. So when I joined, 
they had a little side hustle product that the founder had created. He's a PhD JD, had worked at law firms and done thousands of pay equity analyses by hand. And they were selling this side product, which was essentially a better way to do ongoing pay equity analysis. And eradicating unlawful pay disparities based on gender, race, ethnicity, really anything, because the software is agnostic. So whatever data a company has, you can look at comparisons based on that data. So at the time, I was at Starbucks, and I was part of the communications team that was launching the very first pay parity announcement at the annual meeting where Howard was handing off to Kevin Johnson as the new CEO. Which we need a big applause for that, by the way, because that, we, I mean, we talk about that on the show. They that That's definitely setting the bar. And knowing that you were there during that, I mean, that again, I think that just adds to the, the coolness of the story. It does, and that they were very progressive, specifically around the area of transparency. So a lot of companies had been doing this under the shroud of attorney-client privilege and sort of behind locked doors. And being one of the first to be open and share results with employees, I mean, we really believe at our heart at Syndio that what is going to solve this problem is number one, innovation. So getting it out of the hands of outside consultants and law firms who are perpetuating the pay gap. But number two, adding a sense of accountability and transparency. So being honest with your employees about where you stand and what you're doing to fix those issues. And Starbucks was very progressive in terms of transparency and sharing results. And that's how I became very, very familiar with how this is done. Starbucks did it the old fashioned way. They worked with an external law firm. It took weeks, if not months, to hand the data back and forth. If you had a change to a group or a reorg or a layoff, you had to redo all of your analysis. And in the end, you get a massive report that tells you where to remediate, but you don't understand anything about the policies and practices that are driving those disparities. So in the process of this, I ran across Cindio along with the lead employment lawyer at Starbucks who had run pay equity for 13 years at Starbucks. He now is at Cindio. So we joined on the same day. When we found the software, we were blown away. We said, this is absolutely going to change the way that companies solve this problem. And it didn't take Starbucks 200 years, did it? No, it didn't. And it's not taking companies 200 years anymore because we really eliminate the need to do it that old-fashioned way. And we save companies time and unnecessary, unnecessary expense, quite frankly. I don't know if you've seen uh, some, of the, some of the headlines in the news, but there's a, a global pandemic that has left 40-some million people unemployed. How does that impact pay equity? Because my, my guess would be, People care less about it when there are a lot more people unemployed, i.e. I just want a job, even if it's less money. Like, do these issues go to the back burner in today's current environment or do you think they still remain a, a high point in terms of where we should be going? Oh, it's it's such a great question. And I'm so glad you asked it because economic disaster exacerbates differences and it, it impacts the most vulnerable. So it actually is a huge risk that we're going to set ourselves back 50 years because of this pandemic. And not only that, we're seeing in the news and research and research we've done ourselves at Syndio, we did a couple of surveys around COVID and single parents, dual parents um, that are both working. And the lion's share of the work at home is landing on women and minorities and single parents. And so if you look at that, if you look at the hours that women are spending working and working on their career versus men, 
men are leaning more into work. So our survey showed that men are spending 12 plus hours a day working, whereas women are dialing it back. 14% of women in our survey were actually so overwhelmed, they were considering quitting. So we really have to look at this pandemic from the standpoint of, are we going to set women back 50 years if we don't identify the types of things that they're handling at home? And the other part of this is as companies start looking at policies for going back to the physical workspace, flexibility is awesome. We've been asking for flexibility for a decade because it benefits women, it benefits minorities. But when you look at an optional in the office policy, who actually can show up? Typically, it's people who don't have kids, aren't caring for elderly parents, socioeconomically are able to drive a car, not rely on public transportation. So there are all these things playing into that proximity to the boss in the physical office. And what does that mean? And how does that, again, set people back? Interesting. So I want to I want to springboard off that question and, and go to an, an, another timely one in that uh, July 31st, uh, a lot of people's $600 a week government check may or may not dry up or it may be less, et cetera. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious about the impact on this from that standpoint, if a lot of people stop getting that, those checks. But more, more importantly, on the show, we talk a lot about universal basic income. And I'm curious about your thoughts on pay equity as it as it as it involves people getting uh, you know a, a regular check from the government. Does that stifle pay equity, or what what impact does that have on it? I don't know that that necessarily stifles or propels pay equity because when I think about pay equity, we don't have any regulation right now in the United States. So 44 states have laws around pay equity, but they don't do anything. And I talk about this all the time because people will come to our company and say, which states have really great laws versus which states don't? Well, okay, it's fine that 44 states have laws you know, prohibiting pay discrimination. There's also discrimination laws, right? So, But the onus is still on the plaintiff to go figure out that they're being paid less because of their gender, race, or ethnicity and bring that claim. So until we have some sort of accountability and legislation around companies having to report or, you know, report their standings, report pay equity, even just at the very minimal level, level, report mean median, report average female versus male pay, average white versus non-white pay. Companies have to take accountability for taking action, and we don't have any legislation around that. So in terms of like a, a dictated, mandated pay scenario, it doesn't really, in my mind, connect to pay equity because pay equity is truly a leadership responsibility on the company. The company has got to take responsibility to ensure they are paying their people fairly, regardless of all of these things we've talked about. So what's government's role, if any? I think government's role is to start looking at things like the Kamala Harris proposal, quite frankly. I mean, she said early on in one of her campaigns, why don't we have companies over 100 employees required to report on how they're doing here? Yeah. I mean, why isn't that something that we should be asking them? Yeah. The answer is always enforcement, right? If you have regulations, you have legislation, it, none of it matters if you don't enforce it. And that's obviously just not being afor- uh, enforced. But there is no law, and correct me if I'm wrong, around pay transparency, publicly pay transparency, which once again would also spur this forward, correct? 
Absolutely. And you see it in the UK. So the UK doesn't have a pay equity law, but they have a reporting requirement around the pay gap. And so again, the pay gap isn't equal work for equal pay. What it is, is average male versus average female salary if you're looking at gender. And so what that exposes though, is the distribution in a company. So are all your women sort of clustered in the mid-level manager ranks while all your men are senior vice presidents? It exposes that. And suddenly there's there's transparency around wh- wh- where there has work to be done. Right. And I think, you know, what we're seeing, I mean, like the, like the World Economic Forum saying it's going to take 200 years to actually get this right. Most of that is probably because there are old, rich, white guys who don't want to get it right. But... Uh, this is not just an equity issue of the now, for example, these groups have been paid less for years. So there is a humongous back pay issue that could come into play. Who knows? Maybe even class action suits. Companies are already scared of equity because of what it means to the bottom line. They have to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars prospectively. But now if you put transparency on top of that, and then back pay, it really seems like a hard, tough road. Those, to me, are the answers. Correct me if, if you think I'm wrong. But getting there, that's the hardest part because of the system that we have in play, right? How do we get past this? Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think the solutions that have been offered to companies have perpetuated the issue. So doing this with a law firm who is quite frankly incented. I mean, you, the company, are a client of the law firm who is now tasked with sharing with you what's in your best interest to protect yourself against potential lawsuits. And remember, data gerrymandered differently can produce absolutely different results. So if you want to take your groupings, if you're looking at equal work for equal pay, that's all about people who do similar work and running regressions to see if you can rule out gender or race or ethnicity as a factor. If you disaggregate those groups so they're super tiny and you decide that there aren't female or non-white comparators because those roles are so specific that you just there's no women that do that job you can absolutely gerrymander your results. And if you think about the process of somebody doing that for a client, it's in their best interest to perpetuate issues to to make you look good. And who can afford the lawyers, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and I think the other piece of this is, and it's really interesting because the Black Lives Matter movement has again brought DE&I front and center for many company leaders. And just about everyone at different companies have made a statement, but how do we take those statements beyond just this performative activism? Because D&I, there is massive fatigue around diversity inclusion. I mean, for the last decade, it's been a huge money suck for companies and CEOs are just, they have fatigue because they haven't seen results from all this training, from all this talking, from all this work. And now we're starting to talk about, okay, but there's an E in DE&I and it's about equity. And there's actually actions companies can take to address equity. And that's where we've got to focus because we have to look at how to create lasting change out of this movement and not let it just die into some of these you know, um, DNI things that we've already seen are, are not working. Well, they're throw- throwing money at training around trying to help people understand, but they're not throwing money at the equity piece. The, the equity piece is being able to make up those gaps. 
$8 billion, I believe, spent last year in D&I training, that $8 billion could have gone to making people feel they're treated fair and equitable by provide, by trying to get them closer to that gap. So, I mean, when you're talking to companies and you hear about this training, it, it, does it not just boggle your mind that they're not putting this to the actual problem or one of the actual problems, let me say, in this case, to, to, to bridging that pay gap? It, what boggles my mind is when a company who has publicly pledged a commitment to pay equity will show up in our sales cycle and say they don't have budget to address it. Exactly. It's it that boggles my mind because here they are publicly making statements about their commitment, but yet they don't want to allocate budget for potential remediation of issues where they actually are not paying people fairly. That to me is is a big problem because we have to hold these companies accountable that are making these lip service pledges that they're not actually doing anything. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. So for those companies that are out there today who are kind of hesitant because they're afraid of texting, Mm -hmm. what do you have to say to them? (laughs) Get with the program. People are texting these days. Uh, You know, I I will say that I'm in a different generation, a different point in my career that I agree I would be hesitant but there are obviously millions of millions of people that are in that demographic that want to receive them so it's again know your audience and be able to deliver a message to your audience the way they want to receive it for more information go to hiring.next.com remember that's next with the double x not the triple x hiring.next.com The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. So we've covered uh, sort of legal hurdles or or avoiding landmines from a legal perspective. I'm curious, what is the hierarchy by which a company would use a service uh, like Sendio? And particularly from a recruiting perspective, because that's a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, how important is uh, pay equality when it comes to recruiting the best and brightest? It's really important. So Payscale does a really nice job of some research that they do on this topic And what they found is that employees care more, five and a half times more actually, about pay relative to similar peers in their company than they do about market pay. And it has a massive impact on employee engagement and productivity. And if you think about it, it's absolutely true. So you can tell me all day long that I'm paid fairly relative to the tech companies in my backyard. I've got Amazon, I've got Microsoft, I've got Facebook in the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. But if I find out that the person in the cube next to me who's doing a similar job is getting paid more for no reason other than gender, I'm going to walk out and want to burn the place down. (laughs) (laughs) Not that we're advocating such activities. No, but that's how I'm going going to feel. (laughs) 
Yes, yes. So and, and let's push that a little bit further because Facebook actually is now talking about disparity of pay by location. You're doing the exact same work, but now that I'm allowing you to move out of Silicon Valley and let's say, for instance, uh, move to Utah, right? Salt, Salt Lake City or, or maybe even Palm Springs, who cares? But now I can justify paying you less because of the cost of living there, even though you are doing the exact same job, which is devaluing that person. Is that something that we're going to see move and shift dramatically uh, with a, a lot more of this remote work that would be happening? I can't wait for this one. Yeah, it's so it's it's funny that you asked this. So we actually did a webinar um, two weeks ago with two speakers that were really fantastic. One was the former CPO at LinkedIn. One was the director of HR at NerdWallet. And this was the topic. It was all about GeoDiff and Facebook's proclamation that they're now going to be paying people differently based on where they move. And the fact of the matter is there are neutral job-related factors that go into why companies pay what they pay. And so Facebook was very strong coming out and saying, one of the reasons we pay you what we pay you is because you're in a high cost of living area. So we're going to dock you. And it's a really interesting move from the perspective of, you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. They're also putting a pause on performance reviews and figuring out how to, you know, increase people's pay for good work that they're doing. And 71% of employers are struggling to figure out how to adjust to remote work. They still care about morale. And so is docking someone's pay because they're moving to a different location, the right move here, even if location is one of the ways that you figure out how to pay people. Yeah. Well, and behind that as well, if you think about it from Zuck's standpoint, he's saving money on Silicon Valley real estate if he can downsize some of those spaces. And he's also prospectively saving money because he can pay those individuals less for doing the exact same work. Yeah. It's really interesting. So when we had our panel um, of speakers two weeks ago, they were very the perspective on doing this, so docking pay, was a very negative perspective. They felt like this was a poor move in terms of morale, engagement, and productivity. You guys have raised uh, quite a bit of money. I know the the round that, that Chad, I think, was talking about on the show was uh, $7.5 million. Um, and then there was another one in 2018 at, at $5.2 I'm curious, uh, what does that money go toward? Do you guys do a significant amount of lobbying, for example? You know, we don't, but we're actually kicking off a government affairs program now. And that was part of the intent of the Series A, which we raised just this past April. It's really important that we start to get in front of legislators to say, this is something that we absolutely need to require of companies. They need to be reporting on something. Again, lowest minimum bar is just mean median. What is the average pay? for some of these comparisons. I think it's it's really crucial. I think the other thing that we think about when, when we think about where to put these funds to use is our next product. And our next product is called Opportunity EQ. And what that's about is distribution. So leaders want to know what the company's distribution looks like. So gender, race, ethnicity, but more importantly, how they get there. So we've got to start adding actionable goals tied to metrics that aren't aspirational or untethered to reality. So for example, you know, how do we establish those goals? If you want a senior vice president suite that's half women, half men, 
how do you get there? What are the steps you take to develop your mid-level managers? Because I'll bet you, you have that talent in your company already. You're just not developing it. So in line of that, I want to, I want to play make-believe for a little bit. And let's pretend that, that you are your leader of the of the free world for a day. What do those parameters look like? I mean, for example, some things that that strike me are, you know, if you have the same title, should you be paid the same? If the title and the number of years that you worked is the same, you should be paid the same. Private versus public companies, um, how big a company is, like, what would that general parameter look like in terms of of what pay equity looks like from a transparency standpoint? It's a great question. So I want to be clear that I don't think policies and neutral job-related factors that drive pay are wrong. There are some that are, I think, misguided. But for example, having a policy that says, you know, we pay based on tenure, education, and skills, for example, the issue comes into play when, number one, you're not transparent about what those policies are and communicating those to employees so that they understand why they're paid what they're paid. And number two, and I think this is the biggest thing, is when your policies and practices don't match up with what you're actually doing. So that's part of what our software does. So the software identifies whether why you pay what you pay is actually true. So for example, most companies say they're they're paying for performance and a few actually are, but a lot aren't. So I think it's more that consistency between why you pay what you pay and making sure from a data analytics perspective that you're actually doing that and then communicating that so that your employees have a sense of the why. Why am I paid what I'm paid? So question around being able to actually get there for companies. Uh, and again, not taking 200 years, it didn't take Starbucks that long. The U.S. military, I was in the military for 20 years. The U.S. military has a setup, very equal from a pay standpoint. You have rank, which could be a band, which most companies have. And then you have uh, years in service, which is tenure. And you meet on that grid and then you know what you're getting paid. Why? And it's obviously incredibly transparent, too, because obviously, you know, we get paid by taxes. Uh, so you can see that. Why aren't companies moving that way? Because transparency and fairness does drive morale. You would think that would that would be a huge market differentiator. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely don't think we're there yet for a variety of reasons. I think even when we talk to our customer companies and they're talking about wanting to be more transparent, they're very wary of getting to the extreme where they're sharing everyone's salaries. And there's a bunch of reasons why. There's, you know, the research on what that does to morale. There's research on, you know, we have a couple of really interesting anecdotes from leaders at customer companies who have actually asked their team, do you just want to know what everyone else makes? And typically it's the women who say no, because they don't want to know that they're underpaid because of gender, which is really interesting in terms of our advice. We always tell women, find a male ally. Find a male ally in your company that does similar work to you and ask them to share their salary so that you do have some understanding of the pay bans. So long story short, I think it's a direction that we're not ready for, quite frankly, at least the companies that I've seen and, and have talked to. But I really do believe that the first step to that is that we've got to have visibility to our own pay metrics in our company. So everyone knows what they're paid, but incredibly many employees don't know what grade, band, or level they're in. 
And so for those that do, they don't know where in that band they sit. So what percent in range am I? How am I paid relative to that band? What are the limits to my movement within that band? So that's kind of the first form of transparency that's critical. And the second is, is how can I possibly know whether I'm paid fairly relative to others when I don't know what others get? So they're the ones now with the legislation as it stands that has to provide comparator evidence but how are they supposed to do that if they don't know who their comparators are? So those are sort of the two buckets of, again, first steps that we have to take to, to get to the point where we can solve this. What does a, a sort of a profile of a corporate customer look like for you in terms of you know size, particular part of the region? Is it tech or otherwise? And and what what category is is least represented by your company and would, would you would love to have more of those kinds of companies, uh, in the Cindio, um, you know, portfolio? Good question. So our software is best utilized for companies that have 250 employees or more. And that's just due to the type of regressions we run. If your groups get too tiny, if you don't have enough employees, it gets a little bit more difficult to do the statistical analysis. But again, that, 200, 250 size employee and up, those are great companies for us. So right now we have a pretty wide mix in professional services, hospitality, tech, insurance, healthcare. It's it's a pretty broad mix of verticals. I would say the one gap where we really want to see more progress is financial services. So banking, financial mm-hmm. services, that industry. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. I know, so surprising. I wish I could be counterintuitive and say, you know, something else, but but that's the one where we'd love to see a little more progress. Awesome. Well, Maria, we really appreciate you coming on the show once again. Very important for us, not to mention our listeners, to understand just how big equity is in their organizations. The biggest issue is they don't know how to get there. And as we saw Cindio, we thought that it would be good to talk about this issue first and foremost, but then also about the platform. So if our listeners want to find out more about you and about Cindio, where should they go? Yeah, Cindio.com. That's where you can go to find out more information on our company and what we're doing. And we'd love to have you. So anytime you have questions, feel free to reach out again. You can also provide my email out to your audience, which is maria at synd.io. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Chad, we We out. out. Thank you for listening to podcasts with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, 
and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.